as a young boy, people looked at him and said, he's going to be something special. There's just something about this kid. He's going to go far. He, uh, he had it all going for him. He was good looking. I mean, a handsome little, little kid. He had an infectious smile that when he went in a room and smiled, it would just light up the room. Intelligent. I mean, in school, he was one of the top students and just, just was, a, was a wonderful student. School came easy for him and learning was easy for him. His personality, uh, was such that he was at ease no matter who he was around, whether he was with his peer group or with adults or even with small children. His personality was just, was just wonderful and, and he was at ease with everyone. But often, as, as it is, it turns out this way, his life took a, uh, took a change all because of one choice. Isn't, isn't that how it happens one, uh, oftentimes? Whereas one decision can change the course and direction of our life for, for the rest of our life. Uh, it, it seemed rather unimportant at the time. It was, it was just a small decision to hang out with a couple of his peers. A couple, couple of his peers that his mom had, had told him to stay away from, but boy, he was drawn to these guys and, and it led him down to, uh, down a path. First of all, it started out r- rather simple. I mean, no big deal. He was just drinking a little bit after school and everyone does that, don't they? It's not a big deal, but, but soon the, the drinking led him down uh, even darker path, and, and he, he started to make choices uh, to, to get uh, a, a buzz filling with other things, and it led him eventually to marijuana, and it led him to other, drink, uh, other drugs as well. That infectious smile was still there, just wasn't seen very often now. He, he began to, to miss classes because of, of his other activities, and soon what had been a, a a pride in his life, what had been one of the special things in his life, suffered as his grades went down and his attitude changed as well. And and now only glimpses of that engaging personality were seen as as the darkness that he'd surrounded with himself with started to become even more and more prevalent uh, in his life. The the drug drug use was now being supported by his new job, and that was the job of a drug dealer. His friends gang members. His life spiraling out of control and his future hopeless. Uh, Oscar thought he had hit rock bottom, but, but he was to soon find out there was even a, a lower place to go. When, when he was sentenced to prison and, and, and the reality hit him that when he left his days of incarceration he would be deported uh, to, to Mexico, a, a country that was his nation of birth and his nation of citizenship, but a country that he had never really lived in. He had grown up uh, in the U.S. his whole time. But when he realized when he was deported, that's where he would go. Or when his time was up, that's where he would go. He realized he was at rock bottom. It, but it was behind those prison walls in a place that was ruled with darkness that for the very first time he saw radiance. See, it was, it, it was there that he met a group of guys that were different. In, in that dark place that was full of hatred and anger and bitterness and hopelessness, they shined with a radiance that was unexplainable yet also undeniable. And Oscar was drawn to these guys. It was there that he met Jesus, that he came in contact with, with Christ's glory and his goodness and the gift of forgiveness and the gift of hope and the gift of acceptance. It was there that his transformation began. Last week, 
Last week, we, we introduced our theme for 2018, which is, is a simple one-word theme, Radiant. Uh, we spent a lot of time last week, and I'm just going to give a quick, uh, uh, a quick, quick recap of what we talked about last week. We spent quite a bit of time last week looking in the book of Exodus to, to see where this idea of radiant or radiance comes from. And, and if you want to get fully caught up, go back and read Exodus chapter 19 through 34, and that'll give you the, the whole context. But let me, let me kind of try to sum that up in just a few, a few paragraphs. We, we see back in, in Exodus chapter 19 that Moses was called to Mount Sinai, and it was there that God began to give him the law. And in Exodus chapter 32, we're told that Moses was called up to the mountain, and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. The mountain was covered with the, with the cloud and the glory of God, and, and the people had seen that. And, and earlier when God or Moses had been called to the mountain, God had told him, and we see that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 22 to 23, God had told him, tell the people they're not to have any other gods before me. And he, he gave them specific instructions not to, to make a foreign god, not to make a god out of gold or silver, silver. But we see that is exactly what happened. And so when Moses was on Mount Sinai and came down from the mountain, he saw that they were worshiping a God made out of gold. We, we know the story. If you know that story, he threw the tablets that God had written down and, and busted them. He got upset and, and, and took the golden calf and burned it and made him drink it. And, and then he was frustrated. He was struggling. He, he was, was uncertain on how he was supposed to proceed because these people were hard-hearted and stiff-necked and they were frustrating to work with. And then we see Moses from that place speak. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 33. Those who were here last week, uh, uh, you're, you're going to remember some of this, and I apologize for that. But Exodus chapter 33, starting verse 12 through 14. Moses said to the Lord, now this is after... He'd come down and saw them worshiping a, a, a golden God, uh, even though God had told them not to. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, leave these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God promised to be with him and go with him. If you have your Bibles, I'm not going to take the time to read this this morning, but but do note over in chapter 34, verses 29 through 35, this is where we get this idea of radiant or radiance. Moses went back up to the mountain after this encounter, and God gave him the basically the, the law on tablets once again. And this time he was given the radiance of God. God showed him his glory and his goodness. And because of that, Moses was shining with a radiance. And if you, if you look there in chapter 34, you'll see that three or four different times that when he came down, his face was glowing. If you remember the old, uh, the old, uh, Charlton Heston scene in, in Ten Commandments, uh, Charlton Heston ended up with a white strip down his hair. His hair turned white. I don't think that's what happened. I think literally Moses' face was, was shining and glowing so much so that he put a veil over it because the people were scared of that. And every time he went back into the tent of meeting and, and, and saw God, his face would become radiant yet, uh, yet again. So last week we looked at this idea that radiance, the radiance that we are called to, the radiance that God wants to give us is simply a reflection. It's from God, number one. Radiance, it's, it's not of us. It's nothing we do. It's from God. But 
It is a reflection. A reflection last week we talked about of His glory. We see that in chapter 33, verse 18, where Moses says, show me your glory. It's a reflection of His goodness. Verse 19 says, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you. Uh, and it's a reflection of God's gift. That was, that was the gift that God gave Moses, was that he would see, not face to face, but would see as, Mo, as God passed by, would see his, his glory and his goodness and, and have that radiance come upon him. So we see his radiance is a reflection. And this morning we want to look at this idea that his, radi- his radiance creates a transformation. There's a transformation in us when we come in contact, in contact with his radiance. First thing we want to look at, chapter 33, verse 13. There's transformation because of his pleasure. Look at verse 13. There he says, if you are pleased with me. This is Moses talking here. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know and continue to find favor with you. Uh, teach me your ways so that you'll be pleased with me, find favor with you. Remember that this is your nation your your people, we are transformed by God's radiance. When His radiance comes into our life, it's it's such. And this was what the gift to Moses. It was a a radiance that Moses was able to see and encourage him. It was a radiance that others saw as, as well. When we understand that God takes pleasure in us, when we understand that God can be pleased, isn't that what He said in verse thirteen? If you are pleased with me, when when we understand that God takes pleasure in us, it transforms us with that reference or, or with that radiance. In other words, it's this idea. When, when God, when we realize that God looks at us, God can look at you and say, that's my boy. That's, that's my child. Remember what scripture says in Mark chapter one, verse one. You know the story. Uh, Mo, uh, Jesus went to John the Baptist to be baptized of him. And, and when John baptized him, it said, uh, heaven broke open and a dove, uh, the spirit in the form of a dove descended on to, to Jesus and God's voice boomed out. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. In other words, God looked down at his son who was where he had, where he was supposed to be. He was doing what God had called him to do. God looked down at his son Jesus and said, I am pleased. Do you understand? Church that God can look at us the same way. John chapter, or first John chapter three verse one says this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. John three one, great, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's who we are. Do you realize that, that God looks at us as his child? We, we know what God did when he saw Jesus, when Jesus was where he was supposed to be. God was pleased with him. When God sees us and we're where we're supposed to be, when we're in relationship with him, do you realize that God looks at us and he can be pleased with us? Ephesians 1, 5 says he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. God has put us where he wants us. And when we're where God has called us to be, he is pleased. In other words, can you catch this? God looks down from heaven and he says, that's my boy. He looks down from heaven and he points over and says, that one right there, that's my daughter. He, he looks down and you see, see that tall one over there? 
that's my son. You, you, you see that, that chubby one? This could be a lot of us. That chubby one with no hair? That's my boy. Don't take that personal, any of us. Uh, you see that beautiful lady over there? That's my daughter. God looks down. You realize God looks down from heaven and he sees us and he's pleased. When uh, Reed and I lived in Baton Rouge, I was the youth minister at uh, Calvary Christian Church. Our, our church had a Christian school. Um, the, the public schools, sorry public school teachers, but the public schools in Baton Rouge were terrible. This was back in the early 80s. I'm sure they're even worse now. There was a Christian school on just about every uh, street corner. And our church was no different. We had a small Christian school. I enrollment probably, I don't know what, 40 kids or something. It wasn't very many kids, but, uh, we went from kindergarten up through, uh, uh, through sixth grade. And, and our senior pastor, Leonard, was kind of the principal of the school. Um, and he came to me one day and said, Hey, Tim, will you, uh, will you take the fifth and sixth grade boys and put them in a basketball league? He wanted to have something kind of special for them. And, and, and he said, Will you coach their team? And I said, Well, sure, that'd be a lot of fun. So, so every day during their PE time, I would take these fifth and sixth grade boys. I think there was only seven or eight of them. And, and we'd go out into the parking lot at the, at the church, which had a single basketball goal. And we'd go out in the parking lot, and I was trying to teach these boys. A couple of them were pretty good athletes, but none of them had ever played any organized, uh, any organized basketball at this point. And, and we'd go out there, and I was trying to teach them the, the tenets of basketball, explain to them what offense was. Amanda, you ever try to, Derek, you ever try to explain to someone who, who, who doesn't know anything about basketball what offense is? You're still doing that, right? You're still trying to explain. Well, no, uh, but trying to explain to them what offense was and what defense was. And, you know, you stand here and you stand there. And I thought about going man-to-man, but there's no way I'm going to teach these kids man-to-man. We couldn't even scrimmage with, with eight kids. And so I, I, I taught them a couple small things, a couple short plays, and, and we had one kid, Adam, who was the uh, secretary's son, was a pretty good little point guard. We had a couple of little, little boys that were pretty good shots. And so I thought, okay, we're going to do this. So the, the, the day came for our very first game. It was a Saturday morning. We, we went from, from our church in North Baton Rouge down to South Baton Rouge to this great big old Baptist church that had this huge gymnasium. And my boys were excited. Man, they're, they're going to play a basketball game. And they, they had their tennis shoes and they had their gym shorts on we, we didn't I, we just had t-shirts with their numbers written on them but but they were they were a team and we walked in that gym and i mean their eyes were big they were they were they were just stuck we walked in that gym and i'll never forget it. this is this is the, the the honest truth one of the little boys his name was tyrone tyrone looked at me once we walked in the gym remember this rita he turned out with i mean his eyes were that big and he looked at me and he said wow there's a goal on both ends <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I realized I'd forgot to teach them one thing. <laughs> you know, we'll play offense on this end and defense on that end. And, and so, so I spent the next 10 minutes before our game started explaining to them offense and defense and ends and, and so on and so forth. So, so, so the game, game started and, and, and as we did, I mean, we, uh, we were getting thumped, but every time, and I can't, this is, this is the truth. Every time that our kids would change in, so we'd be on offense and go to defense, Tyrone, the little guy that said, man, there's a goal in both. Every time, Tyrone would run by the bench, and he would stop and say, are we on offense or defense? <laughs> and I'd say, Tyrone, we're on defense. Go guard number 22. And he'd run down there and find 22, and a couple times he knocked him down, but he found him. And, 
And the next, literally the next time down, when, when we got the ball and Adam headed down the floor, he would run back by and stop that coach. Are we on offense or defense? And, and that went on for most of the first half. And, and when we got to the second half, it just started to click. And somewhere early in the third quarter, now I had another challenge because we switched ends. And I mean, that really flew, blew it. Uh, and a couple of times we played offense when we were on defense and vice versa. But, but second half, third quarter started and, and, Tyrone was starting to get it. It finally just clicked him. Okay, when we have the ball, when Adam's dribbling, offense. When they have the ball, and and so he stopped coming by the bench and asking. But as he ran down, he would run by and he'd look over at me. And for a couple times, he'd he'd look over at me and just mouth the words offense. And I'd nod my head and he'd like yes and go down and next time down defense and yeah. And, and then that even changed. He, he didn't have to to, to 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 mouth the words, but he would. And for the rest of that game, and I think even into the next game, he would run by and look at me. And he would look at me almost as if, are, are, are you seeing this, coach? I know we're on offense. He would look at me wanting, to, wanting my, my, my affirmation, wanting my, my pleasure that he knew. And I'll be honest, I was pleased that he knew which end was offense and defense. But, but the truth is when, when we understand, when we understand that God is pleased with us, or that God can be pleased with us, that God can look from heaven down at us and say, that's my, that's my child. There is transformation in the way we see ourselves, the way we see others, the way we see God when we understand that. But notice what Moses Knows what, knows what Moses says. See, radiance, when we're in contact with God's radiance, it's transformational. But I want you to know where Moses was. Verse 13, it starts off, notice what he says. If you are pleased. If you are pleased. Remember last week talked, basically what Moses was saying in this section was, was God, I can't do it myself. I, I need your help. And, and that's not a bad place to be, to understand we can't do it on our own, but but Moses was there. So, so, so when he said, when he said, if you are pleased, it was showing a crack in Moses' faith. It was showing his doubts. It was showing his low self-esteem. It was showing his fear of his calling. And, and the truth is we find ourselves there as well. Oftentimes we, we come up with that question. Are you pleased with me, God? And the truth is we saw that earlier. Look at verse 12. It actually comes out in, in verse 12, notice about half of the verse 12, it says this, you have said, you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor in me. In other words, I know your name and you're pleased with me. He said, Moses said, God, you've said that. That appears to be a, a, a statement of faith. You have said. But really what Moses is saying there is a declaration of doubt. You've said, I know you by name. Uh, which is big, by the way, if God knew him by name. You've said that you're pleased with me, you found favor in me. But I don't think Moses was feeling it. There's, there's doubt. If, if you're pleased with me, you said you know my name. But, but Moses was looking at these people that weren't doing what he had told them to do or what he had, he had told them God had said to do. And, and he, he was up against it. And, and I don't think he was feeling that God knew him and God was happy with him, or God was pleased with him. 
I, I think we're often there ourselves. We know what Scripture says. We, we know what God's Word says. We, in fact, there's probably places we can go and we've got those verses underlined or we've got them uh, uh, memorized and we can quote them. In fact, we go to those verses oftentimes when we find ourselves in certain places. But do we really believe it? For, for instance, uh, I, I know your Word says you can forgive me. But, but God, can you really forgive me? Do, do you really know what I've done? God, no one else knows this garbage in the past. No one else knows this dark secret that I have. God, your word says you can forgive me, but can you really forgive me? I, I know you say you won't let me be tempted beyond what I can endure. And, and that verse goes on. With, with every temptation, he'll provide a way to escape. With every closed door, there'll be an open window. With every closed window, there'll be an open door. You're, you're going to give me an opportunity to say no that, that tip. I know you say that, but, but God, man, sometimes I'm, I'm in the middle of that temptation and I just feel like there's nothing else I can do. I, I, I have no power. I have no strength to say no to it. I, I know your grace covers me. I, I, I know I'm saved by grace, it's not by works, but God, do you really mean that? I, I feel like, God, I have to do certain things. God, if I'm not good enough in this area, you're not going to be happy with it. I know I'm covered by grace, but am I really covered by grace? I, I know you promised never leave me or forsake me, but, but God, sometimes I feel so alone. God, sometimes I cry out to you and I don't hear anything. God, I, I, I know you promised that you're there, but are you really? I, I know you call me your child. I know you look at me as a father loves a child, but God, I feel like I belong. I, I feel like a stepchild at best or a foster child or someone that's just been invited in for a while. Am I really your child? I know your word says I have gifts. I have something to offer, but God, I look at myself and Everyone else has gifts and I have nothing to give. I know you say you know me by name. But God, do you really know who I am? Aren't we a little bit like Moses? Aren't we a little bit like Moses? When, when we say, if, if you are pleased, you've said you know me, but do you really know me? Kyle Eidelman tell, tells this story. He was contacted by a lady in his church and uh, whose mother, Paulette, was dying of cancer. And, and, and the, the daughter said, uh, uh, said to Kyle, my, my mom really wants to, to visit with you. She knew she was involved in church. Paulette wasn't. And my mom knows that she's near the end and she, she really needs to talk to someone. And she's asked if I would have you come. So, so Kyle agreed to that and showed up to her house. And, uh, uh, the, the young lady's dad, the husband, let him in. And, and he was kind of a gruff old guy. In fact, the first thing he said to Kyle was, now, now, you can go see my wife, but don't think you're going to convert me because there's no way you're converting me. In fact, if, if, I, if you gave me a month, I'd probably convert you the way I think. And Eidelman says, I like that guy immediately. I liked how he was so old. But he took him back to Paulette's room who was laying in bed and introduced him, and then he walked out. And so Kyle said, I was left there with Paulette. And they began to talk. They just small talk for a little bit. And then Eidelman says, you know, she, she wanted to see me, so I, I knew she wanted to talk about serious things. So I... I began to talk to her about Jesus. And 
and I explained to her that 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 we that we all sinned, that I've sinned, and and he looked at Paulette. He said, even as uncomfortable it was, not really knowing, he looked at Paulette and said, Paulette, I know you've sinned. We've all sinned, but the the good news is that that God sent His Son, and and His grace covers us all. We don't have to do anything. In fact, we can never do enough good stuff to make God happy with us, Paulette. Uh, God did did all that He could do when He sent His Son to die for him. And, and, and he talked a little bit about that, and he said pretty soon tears began to, to stream down Paulette's face. But he said he noticed something odd. He said it wasn't tears as if tears of relief, like, oh, that's what I've been dying to hear. Instead, there was some sadness in those tears. And, and so he just asked this very pointed question, Paulette, where are the tears coming from? And she regained her composure. She looked at Eidelman, and, and she simply said, I'm, I'm crying because it's too late. It's... It's too late for me. Eidelman responded to Paulette, it's never too late for God. It's never too late for him to look at you as his child. Moses had God's assurance that he was known. Not just known, but that God took pleasure in him. Yet, he approached God with an attitude of doubt. If you are pleased. You've said it. You've said it, but I don't believe it. Uh, we approach God sometimes with that same attitude. But notice God's response in, in chapter 33, verse 17. Uh, notice what God says. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. Now catch this. Because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. God reassured Moses. Moses was coming to him with doubt. If you are pleased, do you, you've said, and what God said to him is, I am pleased and I know your name. Several years ago, I attended a, uh, a youth rally at Ozark Christian College, the college that I graduated from. It was a rally or deeper life rally, one of the two. And I'd taken some high school kids from the church at Rushville there. It, it, it had been several years, uh, 15 years or so since I'd graduated from college when I was there. And, and when we arrived, we went to a, a, a 7 o'clock uh, class. It's Old Testament his, history with Brother Wilbur Fields. Wilbur Fields was... Donnie, did you have Wilbur? Was he still teaching there? Wilbur Fields was one of, the, one of my favorite professors. He was... How does, he was an odd man, but he was... He had a heart of gold. Intelligent. He, he, knew, he was an Old Testament professor. Uh, he was the, one of the smartest guys I and. Just was the most genuine guy. I loved him as a professor. And so we went to one of his classes, and I took my kids in there. And as the class started, it was a class that, that probably had about 30 or 40 students, but that day, because of the rally, there were a bunch of other ministers there that, that had taken their, their, their youth there like, like I had. And so the, the class was jam-packed, people standing up in the back. And as the class started, Brother Fields began to look around the room and started to see some some former students uh and so he started to point them out, and, and and had Johnny had him, he might have looked and said, "Hey, Johnny, brother Johnny, it's good to have you here." And and, and then then he, oh, brother Colton, it's good to have you here. And he, he started pointing those guys out. Now most of them were younger guys that probably had just graduated a couple years before, and he knew. Him. And I'm sitting the whole time thinking, "Man, there's no way brother Fields knows who I am." Now he did when I was a student, but there have been hundreds and hundreds of students that passed through his classes since then. And let's just be honest, I wasn't necessarily his prize student when I was there. Uh, I got by and I did okay, but, but you know, I wasn't a protege or anything like that. And, and, 
And then he came to a guy that was one of my era, Robin Sigers. He said, oh, Brother Robin, it's good to, good to have you here. Well, that was easy. Robin Sigers was well-known in the youth ministry world. In fact, he went very shortly after that on staff at Christ in Youth there in Joplin. And, of course, he's going to know who Robin Sigers is. And then as he's panning the room, he comes to me and he looks at me. And, and, and what I'm assuming is he's thinking, man, that guy looks familiar. I don't know who he is, but he kind of looks familiar. And then he said, hey, Brother Tim, it's good to see you here. How are things going in Rushville? Man, I know God is using you there. I couldn't believe it. He knew my name. (laughs) Now, this is just a professor. He knew my name. And not only that, he seemed pleased with me. He asked about where I was. I wanted, to, I wanted to elbow one of the high school students next to me and say, he knew my name, but I knew they were like, who cares? You know, now, I don't know who this guy is. And of course he knows your name, but, but he knew my name. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the, the, the radiance that was Moses when he realized, when God said to him, not only do I know your name, I'm pleased with you. There's transformation when we realize that God is pleased with us. We'll, we'll go quickly from here, here on out. There's transformation, not just when, we, when he has pleasure, but there's transformation by his presence. Look in chapter 33, verses 12 and 14. Verse 12, Moses said, Lord, you have been telling me, leave these people, but you have not let me know whom you're going to send. And then verse 14, I read that earlier, the Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses was suffering from some from some flawed thinking. He started speaking, saying, God, who are you going to send to be with me? you got to send someone. See, it started off that way when God called Moses originally to lead the, the Israelites out of Egypt. God called Moses because Moses could do the job. But do you remember what Moses' first response was back early on? I can't do that because I can't talk. I can't do that. God said, yes, you can, I'll do it. But but eventually he, he argued with God and God let Aaron be his spokesperson. So Aaron, his brother, the second in charge, if you will, the guy that built the golden calf uh, when Moses was laid on the mountain, uh, he let Aaron be his spokesperson. And, and so God comes to him, or Moses comes to God now and says, you know what, Mo, Aaron has let me down. Who are you going to send now? God, you get you have to send someone else to hold my hand to help me do the things that I don't think I can do. Now, don't get me wrong. God oftentimes sends people into our life to help us. God sends us people to encourage us, to teach us, to speak truth into our life, to mentor us, to challenge us, to walk beside us, to pick us up when we fall, to show us what we should be doing. God sends people in our life, but it's it's flawed thinking if we think God is going to call us to the place He wants us to be and, and he's expecting someone else to do the calling for him, to do the work for him. We are called to do it. I know there's people here today that are frustrated. Some of you are thinking, man, I know God has something more for me. I, I, I know God has a plan for my life. And I know, I, I know I should be doing more and I know God should be making, making progress in my life. And, and, and I've got these visions and, and, and goals of what God can do, but you're thinking, I, I, I can't do it because I'm waiting for someone to come beside me and tell me to do it or hold my hand or, or help me. And, and that is flawed thinking. You're, you're waiting for your errand to show up when God is simply waiting for you to have the faith 
that you need to have to do it. See, what we really need is faith. Moses was saying, give me someone else. God could have said, okay, Moses, I'll, I'll give you someone better than Aaron. You thought Aaron could speak well? I'm going to give you someone that is so eloquent. As soon as he starts talking, I mean, people are going to be mesmerized. Moses, I'm going to give you a better spokesperson than Aaron. He could have said that, or he could have said, said, you know what, Moses, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a drill sergeant. I'm going to give you someone that will come beside you, and he'll get in the face of all those stiff-necked Israelites, and he's going to, he'll just, he'll just let him have it. He'll drop and give me 20 push-ups, Israelites. I'll give you a drill sergeant. But you know what God said instead? My presence will go with you. God said, I'll be the one. You want to know who's going to help you lead these people? It's really the same one that was there from the beginning. God said, I will. There's transformation when we realize that we have His presence. Moses was saying, I can't do it myself. And God was saying, well, yeah, you're right. You can't. I'll be there for you. Don't we do that? Lord, I... I'd love to start that ministry, but I can't do that, God. And God says, you're right, you can't. But I'll be there with you. I'd like to make that change in my life. Well, there's some things I need to do differently. But look, God, I just can't do that. And the Lord says, you know what? You're right, you can't, but but I'll be with you. You can. Or, or we look at that service. Man, I'd really love to be a servant in that area. But God, I just, I don't know if that I, that I can do it. And God says, you're right, you can't. But I can do it with you and through you. Uh, radiance creates a transform, transformation for us. And it transforms us because of His protection as well. I'm going to take the time to read it, but if you look over in chapters 30, uh, chapter 33, verses 20 to 23, we see, we see the story where, where God showed him His radiance. That's where the, the, the idea of this radiance came from, the glory. God had him, put him in the uh, on a rock and put him in the cleft of the rock and he passed by him. And the verse tells us there that we talked about this last week, that he covered him by his hand so, so that he couldn't see his glory because if he saw God face to face, he wouldn't be able to survive. And he covered him up, he protected him till he had passed by. And, and even in that protected mode, God's glory was so much that he became radiant uh, around, uh, his radiance shone on him. God gives us protection. There's transformation when we know that God is there. Oftentimes we wonder, God, why don't you? And Where were you? And and I think God simply says, you know what? I'm there and I was protecting you the whole way. I was there the whole time. It was, it was in the darkness. It was in the darkness that Oscar first saw the light. It was, it was in the worst place he could be when he first saw God's radiance in other guys. Where he first come to know who Jesus was and, and, and started to change himself and started to come in contact with God's radiance in his life. And then that day arrived, that day when his time was up, his service in prison was over and he was escorted to the, to the border between El Paso and Juarez. And they walked him across the line into a country that he didn't know, into a city where he knew no one, into a life that he had no idea what he was going to do. 
But he did know this. Even in the midst of that, he knew that that God was pleased with him and that God knew his name. Even in that place, he knew that God's presence was with him, that he wasn't alone, and he knew he had God's protection. Every time I see Oscar when I'm in Juarez, I'll ask him, Oscar, how are you doing? His responses somewhat vary. They're all on the same realm of positiveness. Even though he's still stuck in Juarez and a family that's across the border in El Paso, even though life has been difficult for him and hard, when I ask him, Oscar, how are you doing? His answer is always close to the same. Boy, I am blessed by Jesus. When I see Oscar, those of you that met him this summer, I see God's radiance. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can be transformed when we come in contact with you. You want us to be radiant. Not from our own power, not from our own strength, not from our own deeds, but a radiance that comes from you because you you see us and you're pleased with us. You know us by name. Your presence is with us and your protection is always around us. Father, thank you for the radiance that is ours because of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning as we sing, to know God's radiance is to know that he's there. To know that he looks at you and even though you're imperfect and even though you have mistakes and even though you've done things wrong, God can look at you and, and point at you and that's my son. That's my daughter. That's my child. I know his name. And I'm pleased God goes with you and protects you. Would you come?